Well, good morning. Let me add my welcome to Pastors Clay and invite you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 15 this morning. We are taking one last break before Clay finishes up our series on Daniel. And I, I promise you we're not trying to drag Daniel out like some of your favorite TV shows like to do. And I promise that I won't be re-preaching a sermon I've already preached before as well. But over the next two weeks, Pastor Ron and I are going to preach on a topic that we as pastors in particular desperately need, and I have a sense that you might as well. And that topic is rest. Specifically, Sabbath rest. Let's play word association. When you hear the word Sabbath, what word do you immediately associate with it? Day off? Drag? Duty? Different? Nap? Playtime? Lifesaver? I'm sure there are other words that you might add to that list. Or maybe there aren't any words that you would add because maybe you're not real sure what we even mean when we say Sabbath. Whatever the case may be, God wants us to have His thoughts on the Sabbath so that we might welcome it for the purpose that He intended. God has already done some of that work in my own heart and mind over the last uh, several months. The first was with Pastor Clay on our missionary care retreat back in April. We heard Robert Luger, a counselor with Dorcas Harbin, talk about Sabbath rest in the context of balancing ministry and life. And then a couple of weeks ago on my study leave, I read a wonderful book by a pastor named Mark Buchanan uh, called The Rest of God. And in both instances, I was reminded what Sabbath is for and who it's for. I wonder if you're here this morning and like me, you're tired. You're tired of the weariness and the weightiness of the world. You're tired of its relentless demands and frustrations. And if so, then we can look to the Lord as He longs to give us the rest that we need from His Word. And so let's look together at Deuteronomy 5 starting in verse 12. And God says these words to His people. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I fear that we are operating at a Sabbath deficit in our lives. We are tired, we are weak, we are weary, and we need rest. And Lord, teach us that true rest comes from you and you alone. And as we hear your word read and now hear your message, Lord, would you instruct us so that we might indeed find rest for our souls. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, growing up in Jackson, Mississippi, we enjoyed summers going to Smithville Stadium 
and watching the Jackson Mets tear up the Texas League. As the AA affiliate for the New York Mets, we got to see a number of future all-star players in the 70s and the 80s. Names like Strawberry, Gooden, Dykstra. Now those names sound familiar to you. It's because Lynchburg had the single A affiliate of the New York Mets and you saw those same stars come through here. And you may know that in the minor league, records matter, but player development matters more. Despite obvious talent, these players still have lots to learn. And if they're smart, these young players will look to their coaches or older players to help them and to guide them. But not all players are that smart. One of my favorite baseball movies describes just such a player. It features a young minor league pitcher who has a powerful arm. And while he has an almost unhittable fastball, he doesn't always have good control of it. The coach decides to assign a veteran catcher to work with him. He wants him to help this pitcher to develop some control and to work on some new pitches. The only problem with that plan is that the pitcher didn't want the catcher's help. He thought he knew what was best. After a while, the catcher had had enough of the pitcher's ego. He decides to teach him a lesson about trusting his judgment. It wasn't long after that that the pitcher finally waved off the catcher's signal one last time to throw his fastball. When that happened, the catcher told the batter that the next pitch he would face would be a fastball. When the pitcher threw that fastball, the hitter blasted it over the right field fence for a home run. When the catcher goes out to the pitcher's mound, the pitcher is curious and asks, how did he hit that fastball? It's almost like he knew what was coming. The catcher said, he did know. I told him. Now let's go. That's a hard but invaluable lesson that we should always trust the catcher. But that's not just a baseball lesson, is it? It's a life lesson. You see, God knows things about us and about life that that we can never know. As the eternal God, He is the source of wisdom and knowledge. As our Creator, He knows us better than we know ourselves. Because He is God, He calls us to trust Him with our lives and not our own judgment and not our own wisdom. The Israelites were all too familiar with this life lesson. They learned that lesson the hard way in their exodus out of Egypt. God called the Israelites to trust Him by occupying the promised land. When reports came back that that land was already occupied, the people were afraid. Rather than trust God and His promise to deliver them, they sat put. They rejected God's plan for them, and it cost them. God sent them into the wilderness for 40 years to wander. And we read in Numbers that by the end of those 40 years of wandering, one generation dies out and a new one emerges. And in Deuteronomy, God would see if this new generation would follow Him into the promised land. As God prepared this new generation by giving them the Ten Commandments once again, He reminds them of something critical. He tells them as he had the previous generation that he is the one who delivered them out of Egypt and their bondage. He was the one who broke the yoke of slavery off their back. He was the one who had provided for the people during the Exodus and would provide for them again and again. In other words, he could be trusted. He had shown this time and time again. But would they worship him alone? Would they trust him to be their God? 
That's the question for us as well, isn't it? Will we worship God alone? Will we trust Him to be our God? I think one of the most challenging places these questions are tested is in our view and practice of the Sabbath. In our 24-7 world, the idea of observing the Sabbath seems as out of touch with the culture as the Amish are. And yet I wonder if that's precisely what God wants for us. After all, if we are to be the salt of the earth, it stands to reason that we must be different from the world. For salt to be effective, it must be different from the food it is trying to preserve. So if we are to be Sabbath observers, surely we must know what the Bible has to say about it. And what does the Bible have to say about the nature of the Sabbath? Well, the Bible talks of Sabbath in one of two ways. The first is what we often associate with Sabbath. That is, Sabbath is a day. We are told in verse 13 that we are to work for six days. This six-day work week was patterned after God's six-day creational activity. And then in verse 14, we learn that the seventh day of the week is to be a Sabbath and was to be set apart for non-work. It was to be a day of rest, an intentional stoppage from our normal work routine in order to rest. Now for the Jew, the Sabbath began at sundown on Friday and then ended at sundown on Saturday. It was to be the last day of the week. But for the Christian, the Sabbath was changed to Sunday. Why the change? Well, because Jesus' resurrection happened on the first day of the week, which in the Jewish calendar was Sunday. And so for the Christian, Sabbath has now become the first day of the week. And we'll talk about the implications of that in just a moment. But the Bible doesn't only refer to the Sabbath as a day. It also refers to Sabbath as an attitude or an orientation. We need not only a Sabbath day for rest, but a Sabbath heart that is at rest in the midst of unrest and upheaval. A Sabbath heart that enables us to be attentive to God's presence in life's turbulence. A Sabbath heart that is still and knows that God is God even though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Both views of the Sabbath are vital for our spiritual help and health. And yet I wonder, if we are not experiencing a Sabbath heart of rest in God, will we be able to enter into a Sabbath day of rest? If we are constantly uptight and worried about the health crisis we are facing or the challenging son or daughter we are parenting, will we be able to shut that off or shut that down enough to enjoy a day of rest? It's doubtful. And this begins to get at why we need Sabbath rest, why it's so necessary. We need the Sabbath first and foremost Because we are finite creatures. We are limited in every sense of the word. Our senses are limited to what we can taste, feel, touch, smell, or see. Our wisdom is limited by what we experience. Our knowledge is experienced by what we read. Our strength is limited by what we can move. Our love is limited by what we give. None of us possesses an unlimited amount of anything. There are caps On it all. We are not the energizer bunny that keeps going and going. We are a frazzled and worn bunny with generic batteries that are lucky to make it to the end of the day, much less the end of a week, without falling apart. You see, the cumulative effect of six days of work for us 
is that we get tired. Whether it's work done in the classroom, the boardroom, the courtroom, the operating room, or the dining room, we need rest. God in His perfect love, wisdom, and power has set aside a day that we could stop and rest. A day that we could give ourselves to things and people that nourish our souls and refreshes our bodies. Like enjoying worship with this church family. Or dinner with our immediate family. Or playing football with our friends or watching it on TV. Napping in a hammock or hiking up a mountain. We need a day set aside to intentionally pursue rest. A day that is different from all the rest. Mark Buchanan writes in his book, Setting an entire day, one out of seven, for feasting and resting and worship and play is a gift and not a burden. And neglecting the gift too long will make your soul, like soil never left fallow, hard and dry and spent. Do you catch the metaphor here? Even the land needs a Sabbath. Fields must be left fallow from time to time to remain fertile. The field is plowed, but nothing is planted so that the nutrients of the soil can recover. And if this practice is neglected, the field will continue to lose those nutrients to the plants so that eventually the field will burn out. The same is true for us. If we don't take a Sabbath day and let our lives lie fallow, we are in danger of burning out as well. But there's another reason we need the Sabbath that goes even beyond our finiteness. And it is that we need the Sabbath because God is infinite. And now what do I mean by that? Well, remember, we don't just need a Sabbath day for rest. We need a Sabbath heart of rest. We need a heart that is at rest in God when we experience life that is full of unrest and upheaval. We need to see that God is infinite and unlimited in every sense of the word. He has no limitation. He has no deficiency. He has no restrictions. God does not get get tired and need rest. He does not get sick and need to be made well. He is not distracted and need focus. There is no end to His strength, His wisdom, His knowledge, His love. We need the Sabbath day to help form a Sabbath heart in us. And that happens here during worship. As we meet for worship, God in His grace and mercy shows us the truth about Himself. He reveals the truth of His character and His disposition toward us in the hymns that we sing, in the prayers that we pray, the Scripture that we read, the sermon that is preached. All of these things help form an understanding that God is God and we are not. That's the other thing that we realize in the worship service. As we behold who God is, we are told and we instinctively know that we are not God. And that's both a terrifying and wonderful thing to me. It's terrifying because it means I'm not in control of my life. I'm finite and limited. But it's also wonderful because God is in control. And He is infinite and unlimited in His abilities. As we worship together, God wants us to treasure what we hear. To record in our hearts and mind what God is saying about Himself and about us. Like Mary, we are to treasure what God reveals to us and continuously ponder what that means for us in our hearts. And as we do that, we begin cultivating Sabbath hearts. Sabbath hearts that can rest even in the midst of circumstances 
that shout to us that God is not in control of your life. Sabbath hearts that enable us to shout back that our God is in control. And because He is, we can rest. But expect a fight. Be assured the last thing the enemy of your soul wants you to experience is a Sabbath heart and Sabbath rest. He wants you to be filled with fear and worry that you can never rest. He wants you to be consumed by your busyness. He wants you to think that rest is for more deserving people than you. He actually sounds like one of the Egyptian taskmasters said over the Israelites. In verse 15, Moses reminds the Israelites of their shared history as Egyptian slaves. Forced to work with no choice or no option, rest wasn't for them. Rest was for other people. Rest was for the Pharaoh. And if the people didn't work, the Pharaoh didn't rest. And so he set these taskmasters over the people to ensure that they would work. And at the slightest hint of resting, the whips would crack in the air, leaving scars to remind the Israelites that there was no rest for the weary. I think those taskmasters are still very much alive today in us. Mark Buchanan again writes in his book, The Rest of God, that there is one very large, very grim obstacle to keeping Sabbath. It is the problem of taskmasters. God drowned the taskmasters. It's true. Dragged the whole Egyptian army into the muddy, weedy sea bottom. Only some survived. They clung to the flotsam of our guilt and worry and ended up marooned in our heads. It's actually worse. We helped them survive. We threw them ropes, pulled them ashore, resuscitated the unconscious ones. Now there's a whole noisy, jostling colony of them still with us. And they lapse into old habits the minute we try to rest. And I would add this. And not only are they trying to keep us from rest, but we are quick to make excuses as to why they are right. See if you can relate to these six excuses that Robert Luger gave us at our missionary care retreat as to why we don't rest. The first is, I don't have time. I have too much to do. You know, I wonder if we sometimes don't wear our busyness as a badge of honor. There's a certain spirituality that seems to exist with being busy. We want people to be impressed with our level of busyness as if it's a mark of godliness somehow. We think that we really don't have time to rest and so we'll say things like, well, there's always rest in heaven. Interestingly enough, in Exodus 34, God tells the people that even in the busy season of plowing, planting, and harvesting, we are to take a Sabbath. Imagine that. It's when we think we can least afford to rest, God says we need it most. How about this excuse? If I don't do it, it won't get done, or it will fail. I call this the nobody-can-do-it-better-than-me syndrome, and I'm the chief culprit. When we think this way, we are telling God and others that we are indispensable. The success of something only rides on us and us alone. Now, the pride that underlies this belief can be intentional or not, but the reality is still the same. The only person who is indispensable in my life is not me. It's God. The same is true for you too. Or thirdly, we hear this excuse, I must exhaust myself to earn God's acceptance, 
love, and Sabbath. Now this takes our spiritualizing busyness to a whole other level. I must not only stay busy to impress others, I must stay busy to impress God. Now, while the world may be impressed with our activity, we know most assuredly that God is not. I met with one of our older saints during the week, and we got to talking about this very thing. Now that she's unable to get out anymore or come to church, she wonders if she is valuable to God because she can't do anything for God. I was so pleased to reassure her that her value to God was more than what she does for God. Her value is found in her identity in Christ. And so is yours. Fourthly, we may say this, well, I don't want to disappoint anyone. And I can't say no. I've heard Pastor Clay say several times that leadership is disappointing people at a rate they can handle. And I think that's very true. But I sometimes wonder if we think this, that leadership is disappointing people at a rate that we can handle. Which means that we'll be terrible leaders because we can't handle disappointment. That's why I think being a leader is so hard because you will inevitably disappoint people. The Bible says that we can't live for the approval of man as well as the approval of God. They are counterproductive. They are incompatible. Paul captures that reality in Galatians 1.10 when he asked, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would never be a servant of Christ. You and I need a heart of wisdom to be able to know when and how to say no. Or fifthly, this excuse. The needs of others take precedence over mine. The needs of my family or my friends or my co-workers are more important than my own needs. The truth of the matter is, though, that if we don't take care of ourselves, we'll never be in a position to take care of someone else. You know, that's why they tell you on the airplane when if there's a depressurization in the cabin, that you're to put your own mask on first and then your child or someone else. And the reason being is that if you're so busy trying to put everyone else's mask on, by the time it gets to you, you'll be unconscious. We won't be around long enough to do that. And then lastly, the sixth one, is that Sabbath is just plain sloth. It's an interruption. My friends, the Sabbath is not the stepchild of the work week. It's not just stuck on the end for good measure. Rather, rest is an integral part of God's design. God built it into our lives for a reason. Now, I admit, each of these excuses sound incredibly reasonable when we make them. Or else we wouldn't make them at all, would we? In fact, some even sound spiritual. But I'm here to tell you that they are all from the pit of hell. They look good on the outside, but they are poison to us on the inside. And God, like the faithful catcher, shows the wild picture in us where the true source of Sabbath rest comes from. He says it comes not from our work. It comes not from our busyness. It comes not from our accomplishments. It comes not even from our own ministry. The source of our Sabbath rest comes from Jesus. How do we see that? Well, think back with me. What was the point of the Exodus in the first place? Do you remember? It was God's rallying cry to Pharaoh, 
Let my people go so that they may worship me. Now, despite the many trips that Moses made back and forth to deliver that message to Pharaoh, he wouldn't budge. And the people's slavery continued on as it always had. It wasn't until God sent the final plague upon Egypt that Pharaoh relented. And Israel's freedom did not come, though, without cost. It cost the Egyptians their firstborn sons and the Israelites young spotless lambs. But Israel was finally free. Pharaoh had let them go so that they could now worship the Lord. And for the first time in a long time, they could now know rest. They could rest from their work. But more than that, they could rest from their worry. They could rest from their scheming, their fleeing. And yet it would be short-lived. Because you see, there is a deeper slavery. A deeper bondage that extends to us as well. There is a slavery to sin that holds us captive to its relentless demands. It is Pharaoh-like in its unyielding burdens. And as the blood of a lamb was required to secure Israel's freedom, the blood of another lamb was required to secure our freedom as well. It was God's lamb. His one and only Son, the Lord Jesus, who would take away the sins of the world. God sent Jesus to deliver His people from sin and death, to say to death, let My people go that they may worship Me. And in worshiping Me that they may know rest. Rest from working to justify their life by their righteousness. Rest from worrying if they have done enough. Rest from looking to others for approval. You see, through Christ's death and resurrection, we can have a Sabbath heart knowing that our sins have been paid for once and for all. I think that's why it's so significant that we look to Sunday as our Sabbath day. Because you see, religion says, work hard for six days and then God will reward you for your labor with a day of rest. Your work is in order to get rest. The Gospel says, because of Christ's work on the cross... You work because you already have rest. You begin your week with rest. It is from the Sabbath rest that we work our six days unto the the Lord, not the other way around. And so if you're here this morning and you're tired of being tired, you're tired of worrying or tired of scheming or tired of running ragged, you are not alone. Know that Jesus came to give you real rest. Sabbath rest. Knowing that you are beloved by God. Because of that, you can drop the work of trying to prove yourself to others. Or to impress God. Or to keep everybody else happy. Jesus has already purchased your freedom. Now, find your rest in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do look to You as the Lord of the Sabbath who gives us rest. And You give that freely to us. And You ask us only to trust You to enter into that rest. We ask that You would help us to give up our worry, our fear, our anxiety, and to be able to trust in Your unlimited infiniteness in the way that You are able to care for our every need. Do this because we can't do it ourselves. We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.